sounds like a sounds like a little mini film festival rolling on Tim's television here. What, <laughs> now this is what what network is this? We're watching Runaway here in the background with Tom Selleck and uh, Gene Simmons from 1980. Yeah. What was it? Yeah, oh, late 80s or uh, early 90s? Yeah, it's got it's, uh, something it's, like that. Uh, this yeah. is this uh, this is TV. This TV, I think, is what they call that. This TV. This TV. Yeah. Always interesting curation. Look at Tom wearing his LAPD operated yeah, outfit. Looking, looking fantastic. Yeah. I, I like those shows because they, were, they, they this movie because it was set ever so slightly in the future. Yeah. Of whatever whatever year this movie came out was, uh, but however far in the future it was, Runaway 1984. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, so it's probably set in like you know 1999 or something like that. Yeah. And they didn't get anything right. <laughs> they Just never not a, do. Not a single thing. We're still waiting for Moonbase Clavius. <gasps> you know, that was, I, that was supposed to happen 18 years yeah, ago. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are yeah. you going to do? All right. Uh, well. we were just, uh, Michael Crichton directed that. I forgot. Michael, yeah. it was one of his books that was adapted. Yep. We were yep. talking about Tom's uh, movie Ama- career. Amazing career before the show, yeah. You know, and uh, he had a little, uh, yeah, a little, you know, some of these movies are sort of interesting, and some of them play, and some of them don't. You know, some of them were big, and some of them weren't. I was always a fan of Quigley Down Under. Him and Laura Sangiacomo. Yeah, I love that bad. movie. I love the theme of that movie. High Road to China. High Road to China. Yeah. One of his first ones with Bess Armstrong. Armstrong. Yes. Uh, in that movie. And I forget sometimes that Tom was one of the anchors of those Three Men and the Baby movies. Yeah. Uh, sure which was. him and Gutenberg. Gutenberg and Who's Ted Danson. Drag Queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Ted Danson. Uh, who was still on Cheers when, that, when those movies Yeah. Were and those were some really big movies. I think the first one was directed by Leonard Nimoy. It was directed by Leonard. The second was directed by Leonard Nimoy, well, yeah. and the second was written by my friend Charlie. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, of yeah. course. Of, yeah. You know, uh, it's just you know uh, interesting to think back. Uh, yes, indeed. On that little film period. Funny thing about those movies; those were big movies, big studio movies. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, directors, the whole shebang. Not a single one of them could be made today. That's it. In the studio system. Not Very a true. single one. Three Men and a Baby, at best, Netflix movie. Well, as long as we're talking about filmmaking, how's yours going? Actually, quite good. Uh, uh, I've gotten to the end of the timeline, that is to say, finished the first edit before cool. I handed it over to it uh, uh, once, and then I thought about some things I wanted to do, so I'm, I'm going back and tweaking things before I hand it over to the proper editor. And you helped me uh, uh, with the little technical problem that I was having with some uh, run times and, and yeah. whatnot. Got that all straight now. Good deal. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too narcissistic about it, but why the hell not? Because <laughs> mostly what it is uh, is is it's it's uh, it's the co-star of the film, the young actress who's in the film uh, playing Miss Daisy. Yeah, which is the name of the film, Miss Daisy. It has to do with uh, driving Miss Daisy and all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's very referential. In a very referential. Oh, I hope so. Anyway, uh, and uh, so I needed a Daisy, and I got myself a perfect uh, a young actress uh, playing Daisy, a sassy young black woman. Uh, and you know, it's, she's just hysterical <laughs> to me. And this she's really movie, good. She cracks me up all the way through it, and I hope she will. Other people do. We shall see. And then, your film? Yes, uh, we've uh, we got a little short film, which uh, I think I've mentioned here before. Uh, which uh, for, so for people who remember, I went to Jordan a couple of years ago and did a filmmaking boot camp at a uh, at a refugee camp in Jordan at the Azraq refugee camp. That trip was organized by a friend of mine, Brand Anderson, who is uh, who has produced a ton of things. He was an executive producer on the Lone Survivor and Everest and and Two Guns and the original Escape Plan and uh, even Scorsese's last film. He was on. He, he was a producer on uh, Mother's Day, 
And uh, Brant has a particular passion for the refugee situation over there, and he organized this great trip, and we had some wonderful people on it. Jason Begay from Chicago PD and uh, uh, Shay Mitchell from Pretty Little Liars, Tobias Schleisler, who was the cinematographer for Beauty and the Beast and Lone Survivor. Flash forward a couple of years, uh, Brant's got himself uh, an opportunity to make a great little short film um, financed by a company that's now financing short films, and uh, he wrote himself a script that deals with the refugee crisis. Powerful script. And it is. it was a terrific script, and um, pulled my wife on to produce it. And we shot in June, and it is now finished as of literally yesterday, and we have an Oscar-qualifying run at the end of September. So anyone in Los Angeles, if you're in Los Angeles... I want to encourage you to support our little movie. It's going to be playing at the Royal Theater in West Los Angeles for, uh, starting on uh, September 20th, 20th through the 26th, a one-week Oscar qualifying run. It'll be showing once per day. I don't have a showtime yet. I'm going to assume it'll be sometime around 1 p.m., something like that. So it'll be an afternoon uh, showing, one per day, but for a week. And uh, the film is called Refugee. And a lot of the people from that trip to uh, Jordan returned. Tobias came back to shoot it as cinematographer. And uh, Jason Begay has a part in it. Omar C., the French Jason actor. Jason Begay from, of course. Uh, Chicago PD. Yeah. All the Chicago shows. Yeah. Jason's great. Uh, Omar C., the uh, French actor who uh, starred in uh, The Untouchables, uh, is, uh, has a part in it. And the star is um, Yasmin Al-Masri, who was on Quantico yeah. for a number of years, playing two parts. And uh, Yasmin is amazing, absolutely amazing. Breathtaking. The, uh, breathtaking. It's, it's, it's the word And the, uh, the actress who plays her daughter, Masa Daoud, Masa is, uh, is actually herself a Syrian refugee. She came here in 2012, seven years ago. So it's, uh, it's wonderful. And there's another little girl, the other little girl in it who plays Sarah. Yeah. She actually goes to el- the same elementary school as my daughter. Oh, get out of here. She's, she's in fourth grade. I, I literally met her. She, my, whenever my wife drops our daughter off over there, she like they they talk, they bump into each other. And just yesterday, I we were there waiting to pick up our daughter, and um, that, she she runs over, and my wife puts her arm around. She goes, "Does she look familiar?" And I look at her, and I go, <laughs> "You did uh, not know." Well, you know, she the looks entire different. Time you were making the movie, no, you had, had no, no idea. idea that kid had was no down idea. the hall. Had oh, no idea. That is crazy. Had no idea. Her hair is all different. I was looking at her, and I'm like, "Oh, I don't know." Oh. Oh yes, I've, I've seen you in the movie 150 times. Um, so she's really good too. She's really that good. Scene on the beach. She's really good. So anyway, it's a uh, we're we're so proud of the film and uh, as well keep, you should be keeping our fingers crossed that we can uh, we get an Oscar nomination out of it because it'll it'll do more than just help everybody's careers. It obviously will help the uh, the Syrian situation. I'm, I'm I'm wondering as we start creeping creeping into the yeah. know, to, to, to the season this time of the year. I'm wondering if we will have an a, uh, awards season without any sort of weird controversy, uh, Kevin Hart and the tweets or uh, too old, yeah. Oscar too old, Oscar too white, Oscar yeah. too this, Oscar that. Those seems uh, all those things seem to have sort of leveled off. You don't hear there, any of that anymore. There yeah. does seem to be some controversy fatigue setting in because there is already a little Me Too fatigue. Which anybody who remembers my, you know, I wrote a piece about this right when the Harvey Weinstein thing broke called Hollywood's Bastille Moment. And I kind of warned about this. You know, these grassroots movements have a a tendency to overreach a little bit, to overextend themselves in ways that become counterproductive down the line. And, uh, you know, that's the nature of a grassroots movement. You don't have a, a person or a board or an administration sort of plotting strategy you tend to have elements that will push too hard or push in the wrong direction, and next thing you know, you're 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 you've lost control of whatever the original purpose was. And 
I think people do have a little bit of fatigue about these no things. No matter how valuable that purpose is. No matter uh, how valuable that was, purpose you know. is. I think, I think there is some fatigue, and it's exactly what you just said, which is people are like, oh, I hope we have a, you know, I'd love a boring award season for a change again where, you know, it's just which film is best, which performance yeah. is best. Well, they're not the, even talking about hosts. I don't think we're ever going to have another host. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, uh, yeah, by the, by now there would be names. I still think, <clears throat> I still think Kevin Hart will get the host. Not anymore. Not after this whole car crash situation. That, if, well, uh, oddly, yeah. I mean, oddly that another thing sort of came yeah, up, and on yeah. the day, yeah, on the day, yeah, and they, oh, you know, some guy driving with Kevin and his friend. Yeah, Kevin was not driving the 1970 Barracuda. Yeah, Kevin, I know, was not driving his. Barracuda. 1970 classic Barracuda. He's got the buddy driving. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? On on Mulholland. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, yeah. I don't know what the hell is up with that kind of crap, dude. <laughs> just 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 cop to it all. You yeah. know, just cop to it all. Uh and 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 deal with it in the moment rather than making some crap up. Yeah. Because you know what? The thing about police departments and fire departments and all these kind of things, yeah. they're smart. Yeah, they'll figure things and out. And they're going to figure it out. So just yeah. uh, anyway, so, but you know what? I don't think there's ever going to be another host of the Oscars. I just don't think there's no, there's no reason. Uh, there, there isn't a reason unless we get to some kind of a, a moment in nostalgia where people feel they want one and there is someone who absolutely screams this person must host. Uh, yeah. You know, if there is suddenly somebody who is just eminently like there that this person has to host, I still think Jerry Seinfeld would have been a great host. Oh, sure. I think he'd still be sure. a good one. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, but they probably feel he's too old, which is crazy. Yeah, but well, you know, we were just talking about that. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, no. Anyway, all right, launching, launching into the show. Got some, uh, got a bunch of anime here. Most of it is Funimation, but I got a Sente here from uh, Section 23, Initial D, Theatrical Collection. And this is Legend 1, Legend 2, and Legend 3. Initial D, of course, is is kind of like the uh, the speed racer for another generation, and uh, you know it's it's all about street racing. It's like like speed racer meets Fast and Furious in the anime world. Um, but this is all three movies, all three Initial D movies: Legend One, Legend Two, and Legend Three from Sente. It's a great collection, and it arrives in a car moment that we're having here in particular mm-hmm. uh, on Film Week. We just talked about the documentary Blink of an Eye, which for those who don't know is about the 2001 Daytona 500 race, which is 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 uh, particularly about the, yeah. the fact that you had Michael Waltrip won the race, his mm-hmm. first win in like nearly five, like 467 races he had lost. And it was the first time he won, and he won for his team owner, Dale Earnhardt, yeah. who the longtime rival of his brother, yeah. Daryl Waltrip, four seconds after Dale Earnhardt hit the wall in a fatal collision. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like that... And and number two was Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yeah. And six days later, they were in another race, and they by then they knew that obviously that Dale had 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 died, and uh, Michael came in second, and Dale Dale Jr. came in first. Yeah, it was, it's you just, know, uh, you, it's know, just it, you can't write drama like that, and people, nobody would believe it. It is it is the the definition of bittersweet. It is. That uh, is. You know, I mean, it, you're, and you're right. You know, I make a movie, and I, you, yeah. you know, a fictional film. I write that into a fictional film, and, and they'd say, like, oh, man, uh, you're yeah. really, you're really, making you're, it up. you're really making it, you're padding it. And then we got Ford versus Ferrari dealing with Le Mans yeah. Yeah, yeah. coming out later in the, in the season. So Initial D will, will totally scratch your itch, man. Initial D, Theatrical Collection, Legend 1, Legend 2, Legend 3. Uh, and then we also got one here from the, uh, the Shout Factory, G-Kids people. 
they keep finding really, really great gems. Uh, and wow, what a what a sensational movie this is. I mean, G Kids just uh, they they find such cool anime and they really give it such great treatment. The case of Hannah and Alice. Um, such a beautifully written. This is, uh, you know, we we joke a lot, of, and and I have more coming about the the school kid obsession, the school girl obsession in anime, and in Japan, it just comes over and over. It's like, you know, there there have to be a hundred shows in anime that are set in a high school or in an elementary school, and school uniforms, and kids who become superheroes, and kids who do you know sports and whatever it is, and it all is just so very, but. It, every once in a while, there's a gem that just sets itself apart in a in a coming of age way, and um, this is wonderful. This is about a girl who transfers to a new middle school where there is this this long standing myth, this uh, kind of urban legend about a kid that was uh, that was killed by uh, other kids. I mean, the kid literally did really disappear, but what happened to the kid? That's what uh, nobody really can uh, can confirm. But suddenly there are um, there are all kinds of things about that event that didn't coincide with her life, notably the fact that she discovers that the the kid's house is next door and is now occupied by this other this other student. And um, the from this we wind up getting into a kind of a Nancy Drew type of thing, like Nancy Drew times two, where these girls decide to uh, try to solve the case. And it winds up being just this beautiful, beautiful coming-of-age story. It's not a whodunit. It's a coming-of-age story, and it is really, really nicely done. It's very, very sweet, and it is called The Case of Hannah and Alice. Uh, a lot of great stuff from Funimation here. Card Captor Sakura, clear card. Uh, this is strictly an acquired taste. Card Captor Sakura is a, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a female-oriented Joseph Campbellian mythical journey. And it all centers around cards, uh, you know, cards for the girls, which are like rings in the Lord of the Rings uh, saga. And, of course, there's a whole school thing because she's still in school. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's magical and very candy-colored. Everything is all pinky and purpley and, and funky and fun. Uh, Black Clover continues to be a thing. This is a terrific season one, part five boxed set that includes a dazzling booklet with all kinds of wonderful, wonderful artwork in it. And uh, this is episodes 40 through 51. Also a ton of extras, textless opening and closing. Uh, you got the songs. You've got, it's just, it's a loaded, loaded thing. So if you like Black Clover, and a lot of people do, really, really cool artwork, very dark, very intense. Um, this is a good one to get, especially coming up on gift time. One I was not familiar with is Basilisk, uh, the Uka Ninja Scrolls, part two. Uh, Basilisk, also very, very dark, set in feudal Japan. Uh, it has some supernatural elements to it, but uh, the the Ninja Scrolly aspect to it is pretty, pretty great. Um, but not as good as Ninja Scroll proper, but... Basilisk, really, really good for feudal stuff. I wish there was more anime that dealt with uh, the feudal period. With oh, yeah. Samurais and ninjas and yeah. all that stuff. Shogun, all that. Love all that stuff. Uh, we're, you know, in on the mecha end of things, we have Space Battleship uh, Jiramisu. Uh, this is season two plus the OVAs, not originally aired on television. Uh, you know, anything that starts with Space Battleship means that it's descended from Space Battleship uh, Yamato, Space Cruiser Yamato. Star Blazers and all that stuff, and they're really just riffing on that 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 corner of Mecca. 
Um, is this as good? No, it's just different, really. I wouldn't say it's it's better or not as good. It's not my speed, but it's it, it definitely tries to pave its own way. A lot of really cool designs, some good characters. Gets a little bit far fetched at times. Uh, I, at least I appreciated that Yamato tried to keep it a little bit, you know, grounded in uh, in 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 sensible science fiction. But this one uh, doesn't really feel that constraint. Uh, Dragon Ball Super Part 8, episodes 92 through 104. If you have not seen the preceding 91 episodes, don't bother with this. Get started beginning. None of this stuff will make sense to you. It's all, it, it's, you know, now we're in the, uh, the, the, the Z Fighters and the Tournament of Power, and none of this stuff will make sense. The spiky hair won't make sense. If you're not up to speed on Dragon Ball, Especially on uh, Dragon Ball Super, don't don't even start here. But it is a but it's if you're if you're up to speed, it'll be perfectly fine. Uh, we also have the uh, complete series of uh, Fuka. I want to pronounce that correctly because I'll get in trouble if I don't. It's Fuka, F U U K A. Don't you. don't mispronounce it. Uh, this is again schoolgirls. And uh, schoolgirls and boys, at least. And uh, anyway, in this case, it's a boy and, and with some girl trouble and, uh, you know, in a new school. And uh, anyway, Fuka is an amazing girl. She just kills it. You're going to watch this and you're going to think, why isn't there a Fuka in my life? Why doesn't Fuka exist in the real world? She's awesome. Twelve episodes, the original series of Fuka. And uh, she's just she's just awesome. She's absolutely wonderful. It's a little bit of a coming of age thing, but mostly it's just uh, it's just kind of you know tween titillation. Uh, we also have the phenomenally well designed uh, from the Essentials line, strictly on Blu-ray, not a Blu-ray DVD combo set, but strictly from the Essentials line is the very popular Cabaneri of the Iron Fortress season one. This was released in a combo set last year, or about maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, this is just you know a reissue as part of the Essentials line. And uh, it's, it's deservedly part of the Essentials line. It's really, really impressive. These are the people that did uh, Attack on Titan originally. And it is, uh, it's kind of a zombie story, uh, it, except the, the, it's like kaiju meets gombies, zombies in a way. Um, they're zombies, but they're not really zombies. They're a different kind of monster. Anyway, uh, so it's in, you know, in the future, human beings are trying to defeat them and they've isolated themselves and they've sequestered themselves into these, uh, these armored stations. And uh, there's some interesting drama here, but mostly it's about the artwork. It just is phenomenally detailed and very, very artistic and artful. Got some Steins Gate stuff. That's Steins semicolon gate. Never really did understand that. But uh, we have part two on a Blu-ray and DVD uh, combo set. And then we also have this phenomenal box set for Steins Gate Zero, uh, which is, uh, just includes booklet and uh, art cards and phone accessories, and it's just phenomenal. Um, so anyway, this is uh, Steins Gate Zero, part one, episodes uh, one through 12, plus episode 238, Don't Ask Me Why, don't really understand it. It's not too, too, too. It's like twenty three and 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 a schwa or something. Anyway, uh, didn't watch that extra episode that uh, that special one. Don't really know what it is. Don't really understand it. But the uh, the art book here in this in this larger box set is really impressive. Uh, lots of lots of excellent uh, collectible stuff here for serious anime diehards. 
And then uh, four more titles, all of which are kind of, well, three of them are, are sort of minor. Uh, this one is a little bit less minor. The Book of Bantora uh, from Sente is, um, it's a lot of, oh, it's a lot of sort of mystical pseudo-noir titillation, I guess. Uh, it deals with the supernatural elements of, of heaven and hell and um, the, the, the management of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, which is kind of a bureaucratic management. Anyway, uh, the Book of Bantora also is just very much about uh, late teenage titillation, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think it's particularly great. These three are very, very uh, slight. Digi Charat skews very young. This is also from Sente, the Ultimate Collection. Um, this has the whole TV series plus Winter Garden and specials. It's it's really for like this is like alien. Um, this is like like little cute little alien stuff for for eight and nine year olds. I don't uh, I don't really get it. Um, you skew a little bit older for this art club has a problem. This is kids in school and, uh, you know, kind of like elementary to middle school, um, politics centered around, uh, their little art club. It's, it's silly. The humor doesn't really translate very well. And then, um, slightly better perhaps for the teenage and tween crowd is, uh, Gravitation, the complete collection which has not very great animation. Artwork isn't ter- terribly great, but um, it's got some clever jokes. It's, it's, it's somewhat funny. So, you know, if you're, if you're for, again, for the youth, those are, they're out there. Kids love it. I don't quite get it, but hey, email us at godsdigigods.com or gods at cinegods.com. Mm-hmm. What else we got? Uh, let's see. What are we gonna What are we gonna do over here? I guess let's we do, call these new movies. Yeah, let's do some. I mean, it's it's indie stuff. We got some 4Ks, yeah. and then we got some uh, some indie stuff. So yeah, yeah. I guess we'll do some of this is, is, indie business here. So we got a uh, neat little movie with uh, Joe Magnanello or whatever his name is. Yeah, he hangs out with Sophia Vergara. You know, oh, Vergara. Yeah. a little couple thing they are. There. Sure. Uh, so coupley that they made a movie together yeah. called Bottom of the Ninth, and he's in it and she's in it, and I kind of think that's the reason why this movie exists, you know, as one of those kind of things. It's an okay little film. Joe is playing this uh, guy uh, who went to prison for, for a good long time for something he did uh, when he was young. He was an aspiring ball player, gets out, and he gets another shot, gets another shot at the big league. Uh, and gets another shot at his life. It's kind of like an okay little movie. Um, uh, a few bonus features on it and go behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. But mostly it was probably just a reason for Joe and Sophia to hang out together for, uh, uh, you know, eight weeks while they made this movie. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah, for sure. Uh, then we have a rather funny little movie called Dead Don't Die in Dallas, a little Texas mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Uh, look, here's, 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 here's the idea in this movie. There's this pill. And if you take this pill, it will either cure or prevent you from ever getting HIV/AIDS. Only it doesn't turn out to do that. Yeah, it turns people into zombies who take the pill. You have this yeah. small town in Texas where a whole bunch of people didn't take the pill. Uh, most of the people who didn't take the pill are either like flamingly gay, <laughs> or or Bible thumping sort of Christians. Yeah, where they have to band together to the fight diff- to practice against the zombies. You know, hey, you know what? It's this starts. This starts as that drag queen from Ru- from the RuPaul sh- yeah. RuPaul thing. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, so, you, but you know what? It's kind of funny. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. Not to be confused with the actual Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die. The Dead Don't Die, which, which, no, this, which this, is which is also out this week. 
the Jim Jarmusch film, The Dead Don't Die, is uh, is pretty hysterical because it's a deadpan Jim Jarmusch zombie movie with Bill Murray and Adam Driver and damn near everybody else in Hollywood uh, who's anybody. It's kind of hysterical how many people just want to work with Jim Jarmusch because his movies are nuts. Uh, but yeah, Rosie Perez and Danny Glover and Chloe Savigny and Tilda Swinton and uh, Steve Buscemi and... Iggy Pop and Selena Gomez and uh, you know Tom Waits of course and the RZA yeah back again who shows up for uh, for Jim Jarmusch anytime he needs somebody to just just be super cool uh, all all kinds of crazy fun look it's Jim Jarmusch and zombies I don't really know what else you want me to tell you about it it's pretty darn funny can't hurt yourself it's with really that really funny can't hurt yourself with that this movie here uh, Michael Perez uh, in this movie I was watching a uh, Philadelphia Experiment yeah uh, just before you came over it was the other movie that was playing on the television uh which was you know whatever philadelphia experiment but i kind of dug that you know it was kind of a thing back then anyway michael's still hanging around uh in this film called mayday there is a different there's an interesting con- conceit to this movie right uh, so these people are on this plane uh, an airliner they have these electrical problems the lights are flashing on and off lightning striking and all that kind of stuff when everything settles down there are always fewer people on the plane yep People are just sort of disappearing from the plane every time. It's kind of almost like a little tin little Indians kind of thing, only on a plane. Uh, and, and it be- basically comes down to one of those what the hell is going on kind of movies. And you know what? They come up with a sort of clever notion for what's going on in this movie. Not much on uh, this DVD by way of special features, but you know what? The actual movie was kind of yeah. okay. You wouldn't think so, uh, but it was. As long as we're on the subject of movies with dead in the title, Dead Water. Terror goes deeper. So this movie stars Casper Van Dien and Judd Nelson. Casper. Which would be an awesome cast in 1991. <laughs> or seven. Uh, or, or seven. seven. <laughs> um, but uh, for a new movie with Casper uh, Van Dien and Judd Nelson, not so much. Casper Van Dien still looks good. Yeah. He looks the same as he did in Starship Troopers. He's still rocking it. He's got, what, like 27 kids? How many yeah, kids do they have? He's just insane. It's that's crazy. It's, it's unreal how big that family is. But um, Judd Nelson... Judd Nelson looks, um, he, he's looking, he's looking kind of old. Yeah. I gotta be honest. With that beard? Is, is he yeah. still doing the beard thing? Yeah, he's doing the beard thing. Yeah. And, and the weird thing is that Judd Nelson now looks like Judd Hirsch. <laughs> Which is, because it's gotta be 50 years separating. I, yeah, uh, but it's a little, it's a little strange. You look at that and you just think, you look like the wrong Judd now. Uh, Judd, Judd uh, Hirsch yeah. looks the same now as he did when he was playing the dad at Independence Day. That's true. And looked more or less the same then as he looked when he was on that TV show, Dear John. Yeah. And, which is, of course, more or less the way he looked when he was in that uh, 70s, late 70s sitcom, Taxi. I Taxi. Ha- Taxi. So- so let me just say real quickly, as long as you mentioned Dear John. So Deadwater, it's kind of like, uh, it's sort of like Dead Calm is what it is. It's basically a riff on Dead Calm with Casper Andy and Judd Delson on Blu-ray and digital. Now, you mentioned Dear John. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you ever knew this, but when David Weishart and I were writing TV specs, we wrote a spec for Dear John. Oh, I knew you guys did one for Frasier. Cheers. We did Cheers. 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 Yeah, we did one Frasier. for Cheers. We wrote a really good spec for Cheers. It was phenomenally good, I have to admit. And then they stole our teaser. Not kidding. Yeah. They actually, honest to goodness, stole our teaser. Uh, we submitted it. We had an in on the show. Uh-huh. Never heard back. We thought, oh, we thought they for sure the teaser would grab them because our teaser was the bar is empty after hours, and the whole teaser is centered around the answering machine. Oh, I remember that. That was our teaser. Yeah. And we thought, well, maybe they'll still get back to us. And it was about eight, nine weeks later... 
we were watching Cheers, one of the new episodes that had just premiered from the from the new season, and son of yeah. a bitch, the teaser was yeah. the answering machine yeah. after hours. Yeah. We nearly lost our minds. This, they stole town, teaser. this town is just evil. It's shameful. It's just an evil, evil town. Shameful. Uh, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, and that way they can get. And that. Uh, yeah. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Yeah. yeah you know, you can't sue because the, the rest of the script is is is, is the thing. So. I, I, yeah. I, I had a couple of burns like that over the course of. Uh, yeah. But you know what? I I, I I took it like this. I must be a pretty good writer. Yeah. No, that's true. I, I'm worth getting. That's I'm true. worth stealing from. Yes, indeed. Well, you you and you and Dave and I we we did have that wonderful little moment where we uh, got to write for uh, for uh, uh, Keith Carradine. Carradine. Yeah. Yeah. Keith Carradine for his uh, wrote his monologue before the LA City Council on. Uh, uh, Will uh, Will Rogers yeah, Day? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was the Will Rogers fair, Follies. We, well, we, yeah, we, yeah, we have a history. We've been around. It, it, it uh, stuff. But the uh, the anyway, the our spec for Dear John was really really good. I mean, we really enjoyed that show. We nailed the characters, and we were really really very happy with it. And then the show got canceled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's why, folks, if I can give any aspiring writers advice. That's why uh, it is a really dodgy thing to write a spec for an existing television show because you don't know how the characters are going to change. You don't know if the show gets canceled. And that spec, if the show is canceled, that spec is obsolete in about a minute and a half. Yeah. It's a lot of work spent for uh, for very little re- potential return. Yeah, and, and, and the, the system, the way it's sort of constructed nowadays, entree yeah. into any sort of uh, 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 narrative television writing, uh, it's 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 a a fairly tightly controlled ecosystem. Very much so. And, More and so than it was then. Oh, well, so much so. Look, yeah. if you were good at if you were good and you did something good and you had a contact and you pass it around, sometimes yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah. A- at worst, it became a script, a, a, a an example of your writing. That was yeah. the you know, the worst thing that was happening. We know the kid can write. We don't want this thing, but we know the kid can write. Uh, and now it's sort of irrelevant whether or not you're a good writer. Uh, you either have to be kicking the door down from the outside and create a splash with something you could, an Issa Rae, yeah, uh, or something like that. You know, she does the thing on television, or you need to be in that system, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, and and uh, and have gone through the programs and come up through the uh, blah 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 and all of that kind of stuff. So it's not like it was back in the day. Yep. Uh, got a little got a little film here called Socrates, which is just a wonderful little movie set in San. San Paolo about this young man who's absolutely brilliant uh, young man 15 years old kind of living on the margins of San Paolo his mother dies uh, and he has to learn uh, to survive on his own uh, in San Paolo and still he wants to exploit his uh, his creativeness his, his, his brilliance his genius actually uh, but he has to come to terms with the grief of actually having lost his mother uh, and then he has to deal with simply living on the streets of San Paolo gangs and uh, and you know it's just really, really it, it's a it's a heavy, deeply moving movie. But it, you know it takes you to a spot that you might might have never been before, never might have never thought about before. And uh, I was in a lot of film festivals, and it's a really, really good movie. Uh, b- a lot of special features behind the scenes, uh, stuff, some deleted scenes, uh, a, 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 a presentation at one of the major film festivals that it was at. Uh, and uh, you know, look, I got to recommend this film, Socrates. Uh, you're not going to see something like this every day. And we, we're we're getting real big about about uh, promoting uh, independent films, guys, uh, because the independent film scene is under pressure, which means that the independent theater. Uh, distribution, uh, exhibition is that, under pressure. That uh, Fred Durst thing that uh, Travolta was in. Oh yeah, that was. Made, uh, yeah, that was in. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, seriously, it was making about four dollars and fifty cents per screen. Yeah, per screen. I don't even know weekend. how you do that. 
that's less than one ticket yeah. sold per screen. Yeah. That's that is a, an epic failure of of proportions I can't even comprehend. Yeah, and it's not that, it, that, that, that it's because it's a bad movie. It might be easy to say because we've been poking fun at, at John Travolta for a while yeah. now. And that was, you know, and whatever. It's not a great movie. Well, he See? plays like an autistic serial killer or yeah. something, some kind of crazy thing. Yeah, it's, but, you know, but just, I mean, that in and of itself, it's it's just a bizarre sort of circumstance. Yeah. Uh, so independent films, guys. you got to start thinking about them again. They, they're not only on Netflix. Uh, American Beach House with Mishka Barton. Yeah, uh, you know, interesting, in, in, interesting sort of goofy little movie. You have these three beautiful young women, three beautiful young men. Uh, uh, they win this contest. Uh, they, you know, sort of from all over the world, sort of random. Uh, they get all expenses paid trip to this amazing, uh, wonderful beach house in Malibu, California. Uh, uh, but then they figure out that they have to sort of share it with each other. Uh, these three couples, cameras everywhere. What are those kind of things? It's kind of fun, yeah. sexy, uh, and you get to see uh, Mishka Barton and lots of other people in bikinis. Yeah. <laughs> So you know, what that reminds me. I I watched the video again. I was converting some video over the weekend because I have no life. It reminds me of the the little film that we made years and years ago when Mark and I went to the uh, the quote unquote Mala Blu-ray house. Where oh the yeah, Blu-ray was being launched. <laughs> remember, yeah, and it turned out to be like so it, it it wasn't. We thought it was going to be a demonstration, and mm. we shot a video and I put it all together like a like a girls gone wild video. And uh, it wound up being like a full-on beach party thing where with a barbecue. And, a, and I think like 10 seconds before we arrived, uh, Kim Kardashian had gotten into a fight with Paris Hilton or something. It yeah. Was, anyway, those days. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. a name I haven't heard in a while, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know. All right. Uh, another bikini movie, uh, Bikini Model Academy. Uh, two goofy guys lose their girlfriends. They start this b bikini modeling service academy just so they can get girls over to their yeah. house in bikinis. Uh, uh, and uh, and you get Busey shows up and Morgan Fairchild shows oh, up. Yeah. I love Morgan Fairchild uh, all the way back, Flamingo Road, whatever she was in way back in the day. And and then uh, what happens is uh, they're they're um, they're 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 grade school enemies. They decide they want to start a bikini academy too. So you have rivaling yeah. bikini academies. And you know what? As a box with a bunch of girls with bikini bottoms on and nothing else. Uh, I'd say this is about in Morgan Fairchild and Gary Busey looking at them with these sort of leering eyes, which is kind of gross, actually. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, there was this movie. There's this movie that I have in my hand. It's called Crisis Hotline. Uh, and, you know, it's this, this guy who's a counselor at a crisis hotline. And uh, it's a life or death situation when a guy calls and he threatens to kill these people. And didn't kill himself. What's he gonna do? You know, it's kind of like a cell phone or whatever that uh, the yeah. phone booth, phone booth. Yeah, yep. phone booth. Yep. It, it, there was a moment when this movie was called Shadows in Mind. Uh, I don't know what the hell they were thinking with that title. Uh, no, you, 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 Crisis Hotlines, the only name for the movie. Uh, and you know, the name, not that the name is gonna help it that much anyway. But it's it's actually an okay little movie. It's it's, it's an okay little movie, kind of tense. Uh, it had a budget of about a buck and a half, but they managed to put together something that works. Uh, mostly, you got a guy on the crisis hotline, you got a guy at the other end of the phone, and uh, and he's trying to talk talk this guy out of killing these people and killing himself. Uh, bonus features include an audio commentary and interviews with the cast and crew. Fantastic. Uh, we got a couple docs. Want me to yeah, let's uh, let's uh, you you got some you, those two things with the guitars on them. Uh, uh, let's 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 hit the music stuff. Let's hit the music docs. Yeah. A bit. Well, the first one is Echo in the Canyon, which is just a fantastic. 
Uh, I did not film. see this. You didn't see the, the I Echo in the Canyon? This. And I kept meaning to. It's just, you know, on, on off weeks between film weeks and this sh- and this podcast, you, things fall through the Because crack. this would have been a period. The canyon that they talk about is Lower Canyon, yeah. which, uh, you know, sits legendary, right above. Legendary right, music right. industry heritage there. Oh, yeah. We're going, particularly if you go way back. I and mean, yeah. you had all the biggies who had houses. Uh, some some of those houses that are still there. So Joplin and, yep. and, uh, and, and uh, uh, Clap, Clapton and uh, Jimmy Hendrix, just yeah. all the biggies, and of course the Beatles came through the canyon, and, you, and there were uh, moments when all these Buffalo Springfield, the Beach Boys, all of them, the Mamas and the Papas were all sort of uh, more or less living someplace in that canyon um, at the same time, uh, and they would wander around the canyon and go to each other's houses and create this music and do a whole lot of drugs and probably had a whole lot of sex yeah. and all kinds of other stuff, and it's also the documented documented in this uh, really lovely movie that's full of all of these people, Jackson Brown, John Sebastian, Lou Adler, uh, uh, Dave Crosby, Michelle Phillips, uh, just all, all everybody you can possibly think of, and, and including many of the acts, many of the bands, uh, musicians who were influenced by them, so Jacob Dylan and Theona Apple and Beck and Nora Jones, so mm-hmm. you have this interesting sort of uh, um, um, uh, big uh, sort of range of people talking I've about the music scene that sort of came out of came out of the canyons at that particular time. And then I have this gigantic box set, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in concert. So what this basically is, is an aggregation of several years of the actual Rock and and Roll Hall of Fame show and the performances on the show between 2010 and 2017. And then also the 25th year anniversary concert of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which sort of aggregates all of those things. Yeah. Uh, 164. That's great. Uh, performances, 11, 11 DVDs, uh, the introduction to all of those particular ceremonies, uh, fantastic performances by just about everybody you can think of. That's great. Uh, over what really, the, at, at a minimum, the last 25 years of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a beautiful little box set that you can't, you know, can't miss. Fantabulous. It takes care of the music anyway. And, uh, you know, so let me uh, – I hit that doc. Let's knock this that doc thing, out. It yeah. is kind of interesting, the kids' table. So the game of bridge, 50 years ago, and if you go back and watch any sitcoms from back during that yeah. period, you know, the, uh, I Love Lucy, uh, uh, yeah. Hazel, all of that kind of oh, stuff. Hazel. You would always have people, and there would be bridge clubs. Yeah. True. The wife would be in the bridge club. We play bridge on Wednesdays, and they, they're sitting there playing bridge. And you, you fast forward to today, most people have no idea what that game is. Isn't that weird? It just, it just went away from the culture. Omar Sharif used to, as, as popular as we know him today as an actor, Omar Sharif's main gig for many, many decades was that he wrote a syndicated newspaper column on bridge. That's Actually makes sense completely. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. and that's and that's what that's how big that game was. I never knew how to play bridge. I've, I'm I'm familiar with it from watching yeah. it on television yeah. all those years, but it was not a card game of my youth or anything. No. Uh, and what what we have here are these four young people, about 25 years old, and they go off and start joining these bridge tournaments and learning to play bridge and then participating. And they go to all of these tournaments, and just about everybody there is on average between 70 and uh, 90 years old. Crazy. And they are the only young people there. And they explore the game. They explore the culture. They have all of these wonderful old folks playing bridge, telling these fantastic stories. This is just an absolutely charming, charming movie um, uh, about this little slice of Americana that came and seems to be, seems to be going away. Uh, they hope the, these four young bridge players 
hope to, uh, you know, uh, engender another enthusiasm or more enthusiasm for the game. I don't think that's going to happen, kids. Uh, you know, with the video games and the uh, and all that kind of stuff, I don't think that I don't think anybody's going to be picking up these cards and playing bridge again. But you know, it's a really, really great documentary, The Kids Table, a bridge documentary. All right, so I'm going to leave the uh, the 4K segment off by by reading an email that we got from Al Lai, longtime listener Al Lai up in the Bay Area. Uh, he writes and he says, "Our Comcanity, our uh, take it back, our Comcast Xfinity signal flatlined for nearly an hour tonight. If high res movies plus music streaming is the inevitable future, we foobard." <laughs> I swear I'm gonna I swear I'm gonna stock up on discs like a fallout shelter pantry. I'll shoplift them all if necessary. Uh that's interesting, the, you know. It's he's, a he's, great perspective. He's going the other way. Which is, you know, yeah, we take the internet for granted, but when it goes down, if your entire library of movies and everything is internet based, yeah. if, if you without the you do not own the internet. No. You do not own. You may have access to what's there, but if it goes away, everything on it goes away. Yeah, yeah, and and, and not for nothing. Even if the company, uh, not not the technical company, but the the, the company uh, from whom you are acquiring, what if they go away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You True. know, I mean, that company. You know, it does does your ownership of the streaming right to that movie? Yes, it very well could. It could. It's not I don't know, permanent. man. All I know is all these DVDs I got. They're mimes, baby. That's it. As long as I can build a machine to make them play. There you so go. That's an interesting thing. So back, so starting off now with the 4Ks, uh, we've got a, a, a movie I never expected to show up on 4K. And the only reason I think it is is because we're having a Stallone moment. Mm, yeah. And because all the Rambos now are on 4K, right? That was we've been, we've been pumping those out because we got Rambo Last Blood coming out later this season. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to get their Stallone on in 4K. And all the Rocky movies are on 4K. So... Stallone is the is the actor who's getting the biggest 4K treatment lately, and somebody over at Sony um, uh, was solicited. I mean, this is from Lionsgate, so this is the way that I think this goes. This was a this was originally a TriStar film, and it somehow is wound up in the Lionsgate catalog, and uh, somewhere somebody between Sony and Lionsgate said, "Well, as long as we're doing 4K on Stallone, let's go uh, dust off lockup." And so 1989's Lockup is now on 4K for some weird reason. It's not a very good movie. It's not a bad movie. It's just it comes from that era, that moment when uh, Stallone was trying to find franchises and characters and movie approaches to sort of uh, separate himself from both Rambo and uh, Rocky, trying to do anything just mm -hmm. to sort of set himself apart in a different way so he wasn't pegged just to two characters. And Lockup is a pretty routine uh, cat and mouse thing, right? Yeah. It's uh, Stallone is the, is the guy who's locked up in prison. Donald Sutherland is the sadistic uh, prison warden. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Well, of course, you're, you're naturally going to have a little reversal, and you're going to root for the guy on the inside and against the guy on the outside who's the real, real criminal. It's, you know, we've been there a lot. It's routine. It's a prison film. doesn't do anything unique other than the fact that it has Stallone and Sutherland. And uh, disc two has Blu-ray. Disc one has uh, some uh, has the, has the 4K. There are special features on both, uh, and there it is. Does it look great? Not particularly, but it it, it looks, and that's all that matters. Yep. Also yep, yep, on 4K, yep. we have Daybreakers with Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, Sam Neill, and Isabel Lucas. Enjoyed that movie. 
Uh, cool vampire yeah, movie. It, it's it's fine as far as a vampire movie. Yeah. Uh, d- but you know, I kind of feel like the, the 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 people in it deserve a better vampire movie. Yeah, yeah, on some yeah, level, that's a hell of a cast. It's a great cast. I mean, it's a terrific cast. But if you know, if you got Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe, uh, somehow I kind of feel like you're. This is also from Lionsgate. I kind of feel like you ought to have a, a better vampire movie. Anyway, this is from 2013. And uh, it is it is respectable in terms of revisionist vampire movies, especially uh, Isabel Lucas, who I think is a really talented actress and hasn't really gotten her her sea legs yet. And then uh, the last two on 4K are both Disney, and they did for Aladdin what they would not do for Cinderella. Disney would, for some reason, wanted to bury the the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella on 4K, even though it came out the same week as the classic Cinderella on 4K. Uh, so, uh, we were not able to pry the Kenneth Branagh Cinderella, uh, the live action one out of them, but they decided with Aladdin, we want to go all the way. So they really, they have released the new live action Aladdin and the original animated Aladdin on which it is based. Both of them on 4k ultra HD the same week. Both of them look absolutely sensational. Both are loaded with extras. Only one of them is any good. Uh, guess which one? Mm. Yeah, it's the original. And my, my daughter loves the original now. It took her a long time to kind of warm up to it because I think Jafar and the parrot all kind of scared her. Um, we do note in watching it that there is absolutely no um, reverence whatsoever for accuracy. It's like, does it take place in India? Is it in Persia? Yeah. Is it in Saudi Arabia? Does it matter? It doesn't really know. No, it yeah. mixes it all up. Yeah, it's and all kind it, of made up. It's all kind Which of... Which is okay with me. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, but the new Aladdin, much as I wanted to like it, and I do like things about it, uh, it kind of falls flat for me. And I think Will Smith is fine as the genie. It's perfectly acceptable. Uh, I don't need a live-action Aladdin, dude. I really don't need it. You know, I mean, other than, you know, the ones that exist from the 30s or 40s or uh, the silent era. So let me just say, Mina Masood, uh, who plays Aladdin, is is okay. He's fine. Uh, Naomi Scott, who plays Jasmine, is amazing and makes the movie, saves the movie. Uh, Marwan Kenzari, who plays Jafar, totally miscast. Like, mm. crazy miscast. So wrong, it's unbelievable. Uh, and that's the and therein lies the problem. Guy Ritchie, who directed it, is not the guy who should have directed this. Guy Ritchie doesn't have a light touch. Mm. Guy Ritchie doesn't really have a great fantasy touch. No. Guy Ritchie is a guy who... Uh, gritty, London, gritty, tough, yeah. side, blah, 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 all yeah. that. Yeah, it's, this is not... I, I don't know why they thought he would, he would be good for this. Um, some good special effects. Things made a billion dollars worldwide. Nobody cares what I think about it. But uh, Will Smith is a genie? Fine. He's not Robin Williams. Mm. You know, Robin Williams had the advantage of basically being able to riff on anything he wanted to, and then they would just animate the hell out of it and make it okay. Will Smith has to actually act the performance. Yeah. So he kind of does it his style. Yeah. But in any case, a uh, lot of extras on both of these. Um, you can you can watch uh, in sing-along mode on the original animated film. Uh, there's also the alternate ending, uh, the, you know, the, a thing from the voice actor who played Desert Aladdin for the original uh, animated one. Um uh, some uh, featurettes on the live action. There is uh, there are deleted scenes, bloopers, a deleted song, which thank goodness they deleted because it's really not very good. And then uh, some EPK behind the scenes stuff. So you know, I mean, if you're if you're a fan, if you're if you're a completist, I guess you got to have both. But the Disney streaming service is coming out soon, and you know that should be fine unless 
You don't want your internet to go down and, and take your entire screwed. Disney library away. Yeah, you're screwed. There it is. And you're screwed. Yep. Same thing with all that, st- all those streaming uh, services yep. uh, the, the, that are coming along. I think it's about true. all of those. And and, uh, and the thing of it is, behind me right now, uh, Rabbit Ears. Yeah. I, I got five movie stations where I can watch, you know, not to mention just all the, the local yeah. network, network television, and Rabbit Ears. And there is nothing that can go down, transmission tower someplace, I suppose, <laughs> uh, that takes the, the, that signal coming through yeah. the air to my television, just like it did in 1965, 75. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I got to, I think about that. You know, internet, my internet goes in and out all wacky all the time. Spectrum yep. is what I got. I don't mind poking them a little bit, too. But my rabbit ears, when you came in, I was up on the table over there moving a pair of rabbit ears. Yeah. Because I, ch- I wanted my movie station. Uh, and all I had to do was move my rabbit ears to the left, stations back. So, you know, folks, sometimes, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, speaking of television, um, I have The Alienist here adapted. Pretty good series. Adapted from that Caleb Carr uh, novel about an alienist, which is sort of what they used to call these sort of psychological yeah. pathologists uh, back at the turn of the century during the sort of Gilded Age uh, of things. And this is actually a pretty good series. Uh, well done. Uh, Daniel Bruhl, Luke Evans, uh, Brian Garrity. Uh, in the series, uh, b- basically, it's, it's a Gilded Age search for a serial killer, you know, uh, and uh, and you know it worked. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. A few special features here include an inside look at the uh, an episode by episode sort of breakdown of what's going on in the series. D- Dakota Fanning particularly good in this series too. Uh, the Alienist, uh, David uh, Bor, what's his name? Boreanis. Boreanis. David yeah. Boreanis. Who is another one of those uh, guys. Scott Bakula-like yeah. guys? When, yeah. when you talk about uh, some of the richest and, and, and most it's powerful unreal. guys in television, they're not the names you always no. know. This guy has been on television nonstop in one series or another. True. Some of them uh, his own. Some of he started out as Angel in the original Buffy series, then be then Angel yeah. uh, for several seasons, and then of course uh, I think Bones. Uh, for many seasons, like ten or twelve seasons, and came right out of that and went into Sill. Uh, team and this is season two of SEAL Team uh, with David Boreanaz and I got to tell you, this guy's been on television for twenty years straight as a uh, so it's him Scott Bakula the guy that plays MacGyver yep right because yep. you get the MacGyver's and all the kind of stuff and then all yep. the Stargates. You look up the the richest and most powerful people it's in television. Unreal. It's not the people who you think they are. It's, it's, no, it's, it's the cats like very this. Very true. Uh, which is why Reese Witherspoon makes TV shows now. Anyway, this is season two of SEAL Team. The only thing that always that, that bugged me about uh, the SEAL Team series is that some of the missions that they would go on would not be missions that you would send the SEAL Team on. Uh, to uh, Saudi Arabia uh, to, to take out – yes, yeah, sure. Uh, to, to get back a kidnap, this or that. Yeah, sure. But they don't go after drug cartel leaders. No, the C- you don't send the SEAL team after no, El don't. Chapo. They do in the <laughs> they, they they do in the series. I know. They'll send and, and that's yeah. just you know come on guys don't do nah, that. That's silly. It's like that Bond where they sent Bond after some drug dealer. I think it was I think it was oh, Timothy Dalton. It was, it, was, it, was, it was Timothy Dalton. Dalton's Timothy Bond. Dalton Bond. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Living Daylight. Living Daylights or something like Robert that. Robert Davi. Yeah, you know Robert he's Davi. a drug dealer. Who, who by the way Robert Davi is Italian. He's not Colombian. Not even Colombian, you know. You know, it's like you know. That's, I yeah. don't know. That bugs me. Uh, the ninth season of Hawaii Five O, the reboot of Hawaii Five O. Man, if you'd have told me this thing was going to last damn near a decade, 
a decade. The original ago. only lasted twelve seasons. <laughs> I know, you know. This thing's gonna last longer than the original. Yeah, it's you crazy. know, it's crazy. It's it's a it's a wacky thing. Anyway, uh, it's a it's it's a decent show. I I don't watch it that much, so I'm not gonna pretend like I do. I have a I have a stick up my butt about these reboots of shows that I loved. Yeah. As a kid, this and uh, the Magnum the Magnum PI and the you know look, I'm yeah. sorry, I just got a stick up my butt about it, and I like my old stuff. Nevertheless, they keep some of the cool ideas. That, you know, Steve McGarrett is in the show. He comes back to you you know to avenge his father's death. Uh, and I'm like, you know, is he Steve McGarrett Jr. in the show, or is yeah. he? You know, <laughs> no, it's just a new just, McGarrett. Just a new McGarrett with, yeah. a, with, a, with a new set, set of yeah. issues. Anyway, uh, it's an okay show. I love Joan Collins on the show. She came into the show. Uh, 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 playing Dano's mom. Yeah. And you got to love Joan Collins walking around and yeah. sort of smacking these guys down. Uh, Chai McBride, a good friend of mine, is on the show too. I should, uh, full disclosure. Uh, y 50 the ninth season, over 100 minutes of yep. special features. Fantastic. So we got a bunch of uh, gunk here. Uh, the the multi-package deals, the multi-movie deals for, just to put them on in the background, stuff that, you know, it's filler. Mill Creek releases a lot of these. What are we going to do with these? Not going to release them individually, so we're going to throw them all together in one. And here we go. Houses of Hell. Four movies, which includes American Horror House, The Dunwich Horror, House of Bones, and Mask Maker. In truth, The Dunwich Horror is really the only one worth watching here, and that is because of Dean Stockwell, who is really pretty darn good in it. Yeah. Um, so Dunwich Horror is the one that anchors that. And then we have Savage Nature, four Deadly films about monsters that are just animals that will do things. And it includes Flu Birds. I can't believe somebody made a movie called Flu Birds. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Bird virus. Um, Monster Wolf, which, you know, Wolf's Bane. And then the, uh, the Headless Horseman. You'll notice there's really nothing that holds all these together. <laughs> this is just... This is just flu birds. What what are they thinking? Anyway, the good news <sighs> is all, none of these are longer than than uh, an hour and a half. So uh, this is six hours of just really great silliness. The headless horseman is actually kind of funny. I'd never I didn't even know that they made that. And then the last year here uh, two here are from the uh, the world of Airbud Entertainment, which means talking animals. And uh, the first one is a triple feature of Pup Star, Pup Star 2, Better Together, and Pup Star World Tour, uh, all of which just great on me like nobody's business. I will not watch any more of these. They, they, they're just, uh, it, it's just it, – it's insufferable. And uh, it's still not as bad as this double feature of MVP and MVP 2, which is Most Valuable Primate. I get it. Chimpanzees are funny. You can make them do all kinds of things. And in this case, oh, look, it's Chimp. He plays hockey. Oh, look, MVP2. Let's make him ride a, a skateboard. You know what? I I kind of uh, did did my limit of chimps during the uh, 1970s, and then we were treated to Clint Eastwood with an orangutan. Oh, yeah. And, and, and now those, I'm really, Those Any Which Way movies. Yeah, yeah. and now I'm, I'm seriously done with the whole thing. I'm, I'm done with you know, explo <laughs> exploiting primates that yeah, uh. they, they, they make noises and they smile, and it's just, it gets very old. I'm tired of it. Um, and what was the TV show? Uh, with all the talking monkeys, the talking chimps. What was that? Oh, the talking chimps. Oh, 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 dude, hold on. I got to do this because Mark Kaiser and I used to talk about this all the time. Um, Live it, action talking chimps? Yes, yes, TV show. Oh, it was uh, 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 Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. Oh. It ran from September uh, 1970 to January 1971. It lasted like three. Yeah, that one uh, got past me. It, 13 episodes, actually, uh -huh. 13 episodes. 
Wow. Uh, four of them never aired. They shot 17, only aired 13. Isn't that crazy? Nuts. Anyway, yeah, Last Night Link, Secret Chip. Uh, speaking of, the one I will forgive is the um, TV Funhouse thing that Mark once saw at the comedy club or whatever. Mm. Um, what was that? It's, it's, it's um, Mafia, Mafia Monkey, I think is what it was. Mafia Monkey? Something like that. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's no. It was part of the TV Funhouse thing, and they w- and and Smigel could never get them to uh, actually show it. So he 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 shows it at like parties and gatherings and things. And apparently, there's a whole thing in there where one monkey, where where one chimp walks up to another chimp, shoots him in the head, and then wraps <laughs> his body in a canvas, drives it out to the docks, and throws it into the ocean. I think I've seen that. It's insane. The, just the concept, and I'm dying to see it. And Kaiser talks about it all the time, and I can never, I can never, can <laughs> never, never find it anywhere. Anyway, Mark is Mark is uh, uh, covering Venice for us, and he's uh, gonna bolt. We're we're, we're going to try to get a thing getting yeah. on Skype, but. He's just between screenings, and uh, he's on those Euro trains. And, and as soon as Venice is over, he's off to Deauville. Yeah. So uh, he's just doing the festival thing over there. Anyway, w- let, let's, let's do some, uh, some other old classic movies. Uh, as classic as well, these yes, can be. Classic as, and, and at least one of this. This one's from 1989. That, uh, that always bugs me a little bit yeah. <laughs> that they call these classics. Yeah. Anyway, it's in one of those boxes. It looks like a, D, like a VHS subtle being pulled out of the... It's True Believer, James Woods, Robert Downey Jr. This is back when you could still, um, when writers could still just write an original script and to have it made into a movie with major movie stars, Wesley Strick, uh, writing here, directed by Joseph Rubin. Uh, Wesley uh, wrote uh, wrote Cape Fear. R- Wesley wrote Wolf. Uh, yep. He wrote Return to Paradise. I mean, he was one of those guys who th- sat down, thought of a movie, and wrote it. Uh, and, and every now and again, they would be, you know, I mean, Cape Fear was an adaptation. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Anyway, this movie is about this uh, old civil rights lawyer uh, who's uh, more or less not doing anything but uh, the, you know, representing drug dealers uh, nowadays. And an old murder case uh, it comes back up. And uh, a young-ish Robert Downey Jr. Uh, comes in as a young attorney that has to help him. Uh, figure out what the hell. I didn't is going mind on. this movie. I, I think it has aged fairly well. It's okay. I, yeah, it's Court, okay. As a, as, yeah. As a, not exactly. It's more of a. It's more of an investigative sort of thriller piece than. But you know, true believer, not bad. Um, they should have put. They should have put a little something on this in, by way of special features, but they didn't. Uh, and Duplicity from two thousand nine. Uh, Tony Gilroy writing. Tony Gilroy directing. Again, an original movie, an original idea, written by Tony Gilroy. You know, Tony Gilroy. Uh, of uh, of course, but you know uh, you can't. Uh, these just don't happen anymore. No, uh, they just, don't. They just don't happen. Anymore. Michael Clayton, of course, is Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy was uh, Rogue One, uh, Nightcrawler. Tony Gilroy, but you just don't make these movies anymore. Anyway, this is about these two guys that used to be um, uh, government agents, CIA, NSA, that kind of thing. Now right. they're working in the corporate sphere for two different rival companies. Somebody's company is about to. Uh, uh, you know, release a product, and then they can't decide whether they want to uh, go after each other's uh, industrial espionage-wise or w- want to just go after each other <laughs> because, you know, it's yeah. Julia Roberts and, and Clive Owen. It's an okay movie, uh, not the greatest one in the world. Uh, this, this again, I have a bu- I've, all, I've had a bug up my ass about these movies ever since they started doing them in the middle 90s, basically taking popular television programs, often from the 60s, sometimes even earlier, Beverly Hillbillies, Little Rascals, and adapting them 
uh, into into feature films. Car 54, Where Are You, was another one. They, a lot of these movies, uh, starting in the middle 80s or, or late 80s, early 90s, this happened. And it kept happening up to uh, the early 2000s. One of the last ones was I Spy. Of course, adapted from the True. iconic television series with Bill Cosby and uh, Robert, Robert, what's his name? It was also in The American Hero. What was his name, Robert? Uh, he was wonderful. William, K wait. Uh, uh, it, was, it was Bill Cosby. I spy Bill Cosby and... and, 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 and uh, oh, what was his name? i got to look at the oh name. Oh, anyway, Robert Culp. Robert Culp. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Robert Culp, who, who was a venerable television writer and director all through the 60s very and much 70s, so. by the way. You look him up. Uh, but this is Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson. And, you know, this was just a terrible movie. It was just, <laughs> it was just a terrible movie. Two funny guys. Eddie Murphy, one of the funniest guys on the planet. It's a mismatch. It's a mismatch. Owen Wilson yeah. was one of these guys who they would simply pair up, and, you know, him and Jackie Chan, him and whoever, you know, right before he became sort of a standalone movie star. Uh, and, and they just made this absolute mess of a movie with Fomka, with Fomka Jensen. And, you know, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, no special features on this because it doesn't really deserve any. Uh, the Scars of Dracula, 1970. Now, this is a classic movie. Thank you very much. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Christopher Lee in another Dracula performance um, with that sort of uh, early 70s, late 60s sort of mod, sort of happening thing going on. Young man goes to Dracula's castle. He gets killed. His brother comes uh, a few weeks later to try to figure out what happened and uh, sort of unravels the mystery of uh, an yet another Dracula story. Uh, yeah, Christopher Lee was always a solid Dracula. This movie is a whole lot of fun. It's full of special features. And it's presented in two aspect ratios, the 166, Ooh. the original 166, and 185. Uh, audio commentary from the filmmakers, from, uh, uh, film historians. Uh, these films were always fantastic fun for me. Uh, and I enjoy them thoroughly, and I can watch them to this very day. So, uh, The Scars of Dracula. If you are a Dracula completist, add this from the Hammer, Hammer Horror Collection. Yes. That's what I got over here, brother. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it all out now. Uh, Andy Sidaris is a name that you should not be terribly familiar with, uh, but yet he is incredibly prolific. Mm. Andy Sidaris has, uh, back primarily in the 1990s, made a lot of AFM movies. Yeah. I, oh, his, I used to. I used to. Um, <laughs> his Malibu Bay films. My wife was an extra in one of them. I, I used to be. A, I used to be one of his script doctors. He had a little little cadre of script doctors. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I was one of his script doctors. Well, he's uh, been doing 4K restorations of uh, all his old stuff and pimping it out through Mill Creek. And so we got a couple of old Andy Sidaris movies from 1990 and 91. The 1991 is called, appropriately, Guns. Yeah. Because Andy Sidaris realized, hey, nobody's actually used Guns as a title before. <laughs> How do we miss that? <laughs> All right, now what's it going to be about? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Who, who, guns. Yeah, who cares? It's Guns. Let's just get people guns. So we, we uh, wind up making a movie with Eric Estrada and a bunch of women with guns. <laughs> and let's take pictures of them. Hey, I got an idea. Let's get Eric Estrada holding a really big gun. Oh, and let's put it on the cover with a woman who's wearing a bustier and 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 garter and, not, and, oh, and legging. Yeah. Look at look at that. It's like it's the, the, it's the, yeah. was the was the scene, she's man. Wearing, she's wearing a bustier and not much else and, and stilettos and she's holding a big gun. Yeah, look, then we, we got another woman wearing a latex dress. <laughs> we she's we, holding we a make gun. fun of Andy. But Andy did this. Andy Andy. Look, Andy, Andy knocked out a couple of really good episodes of Kojak back in the day. Yeah. He did. 
Uh, Angie, Angie uh, used to knock out a whole bunch of uh, those ABC Worldwide sports. Yeah, Andy was Andy was one of those guys. Uh, you know, and, and uh, one or two decent. Yeah, Gemini Man. Remember Gemini Man? Middle seventies. Yeah, totally. Andy knocked out one or two of those as a director, and you know, he figured he figured that thing he out. Did. And, and, uh, he sure did. And he just figured, hey, Andy used to come. Andy would have like footage of explosions and gunfights. Yep. And he and you know, like 25, 40 minutes of that kind of footage. Him and a few other guys, uh, Peter, well, Peter, Peter Majari. Yeah. Uh, and they would be like, "Write me forty-five minutes that includes this." Yeah. And he didn't really care what the whole forty-five minutes was it's about. True. You just had to wrap that in, into the story. Man. There, there are uh, a lot of these guys who did these AFM things, and Andy's one of the one of the top ones. They also have a thing with Mill Creek, which is their movie spree. You can go to moviespree.com/slash/redeem. And uh, or just moviespree.com to uh, add these things to your library if you buy them, and then you've got your own version of uh, movies anywhere, courtesy of Mill Creek. So it's another one of those deals. But uh, anyway, there it is. It's called the Guns. I love the li- <laughs> I love the log line or, or the tagline: locked, cocked, and ready to rock. <gasps> That's crazy. Again, yeah. director and writer. And then Andy Sedaris a year later did Do or Die. And uh, that's uh, kind of more of the same. You got a couple of hot women, and uh, an, in this case, a more sophisticated actor by the name of Pat Morita, who mm. you know as Mr. Miyagi from the uh, from the Karate Kid movies. Uh, this is one of the yeah, last. Eric Estrada is no Pat Morita. Yeah, no, but but uh, but Pat Morita still is a is a, a name at this time, and he kind of bestows a certain uh, legitimacy on these movies. So. Uh, you know, why the hell not? Uh, Pat Marina and a couple of hot women in something called Do or Die. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it, it is what it is. It's, it's, a, it's just a, another kind of a federal government, um, fed, you know, undercover agents, and it, it makes no sense. Don't even <laughs> worry about it. It's, it's crazy. Uh, the last three here. This is stuff we really want to give, uh, give some props to. The first one is an Arrow release. Uh, the last two are Criterion releases, and we're going to go out on Criterion because it's just got to end on a high note. Uh, but in Who Saw Her Die from Arrow, this is an Aldo Lotto movie starring George Lazenby and Anita Strindberg that is not bad, mm. actually. It's, it's kind of culty. Uh, comes from uh, the early 70s when these things were sort of a dime a dozen and they would just come out and disappear again. Um, but, uh, you know, and George Lazenby was having a moment, even yeah. though he only lasted one film as Bond. One he, Bond. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he still had kind of a moment. He did some other stuff. Yeah. He wasn't. Didn't. I think Dalton had two Bonds, right? He did. Yeah. had two. Yeah. yeah, he outlasted Lazenby. Yeah. Too bad. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this is basically an Italian mystery thriller. It uh, kind of comes out at the time when they're doing a lot of those in the whole Dario Argento moment, and uh, it's got a you know it's got a great score from Ennio Morricone that makes it a much better movie than it has any any business being. It is um, there's a the the whole crime aspect of this, the whole vengeance uh, angle is really not very interesting, but because it takes place against the backdrop of Venice. Uh, it's got a nice backdrop too, so it's a, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting little oddity from the early seventies. It's worth uh, giving a look at. Who saw her die? By Aldo Lotto on Blu-ray from Arrow, and then here's what we get from Criterion. And my goodness, this is great. John Waters' Polyester on uh, Blu-ray. Yes. At long bloody last. Now, the the this is an eighty-six minute blitz. From John Waters with Divine in one of his best ever performances, 
And uh, this is really, I'm kind of amazed. John Waters getting the Criterion treatment is a, is a bestowal of legitimacy that mm-hmm. is really, uh, but nonetheless, the film is, a, is most interesting because it, it pays homage to a particular kind of melodrama from the 1950s. Mm. In a in a really kind of affectionate way, yeah. Waters is not making fun of these no. movies; he's really loving it. These and were the movies that he loved when he was young. Uh, absolutely, those, those movies, yeah. and that's why he cast Tab Hunter. Tab yeah. Hunter came stars in this, basically playing Tab Hunter. And knowing what you know now about Tab Hunter, yeah, yeah. that Tab Hunter was was a, a gay man in the closet through much of his career, even including at the time of this movie. And knowing John Waters is a gay man and yeah. has never hid from that, this is now doubly interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Polyester has tons of extras on this, interviews from 1993 with all the actors and uh, the original commentary from 1993 for the Criterion Laserdisc with Wa- John Waters. It's great. And then we're going to go out on an Ernst Lubitsch movie, Clooney Brown. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite movies from 1946, classic Ernst Lubitsch. It is a wonderful script. It is just uh, a really, really such smart dialogue, so clever. And, beautiful uh, Jennifer Jones. Beautiful. It's just great. And unfortunately, this is the last film that Ernst Lubitsch would ever make. Yeah. This was his, his swan song. But it, is, uh, it's, uh, it takes place in England just before World War II, and it is, it's effectively a comedy of manners. It is wonderful. It has great performances from everybody involved. It is uh, ridiculously young Peter Lawford. Oh, it's, it, you know, Jennifer Jones is great. Uh, Peter Lawford is great. Uh, Reginald Owen, the amazing Reginald Owen, is just so wonderful in this. Charles Boyer, yeah, it is a, it's a superb cast. It's just wonderful. And especially coming now with uh, Downton Abbey kind of yeah. coming on the way, this, this intersects with that in a really interesting way. A lot of great stuff in here, including the uh, an interview view on the Lubitsch Touch with uh, film scholar Bernard Eisenschitz from 2004, screen director's playhouse uh, adaptation of this from 1950, and uh, a great conversation between Molly Haskell and Farron Smith Nimi on the way that female characters are portrayed in Ernst Lubitsch's movies, which is uh, very, very interesting. People don't pay enough attention to it. So, there it is. Uh, Ernst Lubitsch goes goes French farce with the English uh, in Clooney Brown in 1946. It gets a Blu-ray treatment from Criterion. And with that, folks, we are done. We're going to have a lot of great stuff for you in the next coming weeks. And as a reminder, if you are in Los Angeles, uh, the short film Refugee, one showing a day at the Los, at the uh, Lemley Royal on the west side of Los Angeles, uh, starting on September 20th to the 26th. Please come around. You might bump into me there. I'm going to be uh, circulating and uh, we'll be about. It, we will both be about. We'll be about. And then Tim's got his movie, which he's uh, going to finish very soon, and mm-hmm. uh, we're very eager to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, might might make the downtown Los Angeles film festival. Oh, that would be great. We'll see. All right. See you next week. Thank you.